think we disproportionately stop whites too much. I taught those kids lessons on product development and marketing, and they taught me what it was like growing up feeling targeted for your race. I am proud to be gay. I am proud to be a Republican. You know, I went to a tough school in Queens that they used to beat up the little Jewish boys. You know, I love having the support of real billionaires. Welcome back to Grubstakers, the podcast about billionaires. Sean P. McCarthy here, joined by Steve Jeffries, Andy Palmer. And so this week we're talking about Rupert Murdoch, and we are very excited to have a, a very special guest joining us from Australia, where it is 5.44 a.m., uh, <laughs> the co-host of the Dead Pundit Society podcast, uh, post-grad student, Amy Therese is here. Hi. Amy, thank you for Hi, being guys. here. Hi, guys. And you can, of course, find her on Twitter at Amy Therese. And uh, I'm very excited you're here because, first of all, I am a big fan of the Dead Pundit Society. Um, I listened to your interview with Adolf Reed Jr. It was great. I actually... Sean's second favorite Adolf. (laughs) I misquoted it. (laughs) I... I misquoted your interview uh, with Adolf Reed Jr. in which I uh, revealed that I thought sunspots were actually freckles. And uh, I'm very tired of this podcast that's supposed to be about how smart I am, constantly revealing what an utter dumbass I am. Um, but uh, I'm very excited uh, that and, you're... And uh, when we contacted you, I mean, you said you were... Um, you warned us before we brought you on that you were problematic. Um, and so we have only two requests. Um, keep your ethnic slurs artful and keep your ableist slurs copious. Those are uh, how we do things over here at Grubstakers. Yeah, do the uh, do the Australian ones that our American audience won't know and can't get offended by. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, sure. I mean, I'll try. <laughs> I'll do my best. But it's it's difficult in as much as like when when you're so um, just comfortably ableist, it's sort of hard to really recognize like. Um, which like what's even problematic anymore you know just comes so naturally to me so i just really wait for the woke lords to identify the slurs okay like okay. i don't even know that i'm making them you know great great that makes you the perfect guest actually mm-hmm. um, yeah no you just oh, really really you, you'll just advance in your career and then five years from now this recording will be dug up and you'll be fired <laughs> <laughs> well see my problem is like i know a lot of people um have like concerns about you know People digging up pre-woke tweets. I am frankly more concerned that people might dig up woke tweets than mine. <laughs> I know, that's yeah. Really gonna fuck up, that's really going <laughs> to fuck up my rep. Your Patreon numbers fall in half. <laughs> <laughs> it's like my class reduction is bona fides. You're going to sleep <laughs> if I've got any of this like representation matters shit. <laughs> Just every other word you use has an X at the end of it. Um, but so today, uh, we're, we're very excited to have Amy Therese joining us because we are talking about the life and times of Rupert Murdoch, uh, arguably the most powerful Australian in all of the world. Um, just for, um, just to clarify, he's, he's an American now. He's yes. been naturalized. He is a so naturalized your, U.S. citizen. It's your problem, to be sure. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, I forgot to play Amy's intro music, by the way. But back to the subject at hand, um, Rupert Murdoch, uh, 
Estimated by Forbes, worth about $19.1 billion as of November 2018. The Murdoch family controls 39% of the voting shares in News Corp, which is a, the holding company for all their media properties. Uh, around 17% of the total shares are controlled by the Murdoch family. And um, you might know, uh, you the listener might know Rupert Murdoch as the founder and acting CEO of Fox News Channel, the owner of the Wall Street Journal, and uh, for being a professional rape ignorer at all of his media properties. Um, but I just wanted to ask you, Amy, just to kind of start this off, because uh, uh, Rupert Murdoch, as you mentioned, is now an, a naturalized U.S. citizen, but he was born in Australia. And uh, I just wanted to, to ask you if you had a, a general sense of what the uh, Australian public writ large thinks about Rupert Murdoch, and uh, if there's any pride at uh, the fact that uh, someone from your backwards island has managed to uh, take over the government and media in both the United States and United Kingdom. <laughs> Not sure like, where exactly <laughs> to go with that like, slightly backhanded like, compliment question. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> basically, I'm ignoring the aspersions cast on my backwards island. Um, <laughs> I think, like, for the most part, like, uh, for all the shit that I give Australia, there is at least one kind of cultural sensibility in most Australians, which is kind of a fuck you attitude towards billionaires and towards authority. So I can't say there's any real love lost for Rupert when he departed um, officially as an Australian. Um, And, like, his kids are pretty, like, twerpy and annoying too. So... they are but so like broadly speaking i think aussies don't have like a you know a particularly fond not particularly tender-hearted toward old rupert um but he's still got a fucking stranglehold on our media in much the same way as he does in the states in the uk so like we don't need to <laughs> like this is the beauty of capital right like we don't need to like the motherfucker for him to control what we read and think right like we as i always say like we don't need to have an like affective investment in the guy like we can disrespect him all we want and kind of give him that fuck you dad attitude but like ultimately he's still got a shit ton of power like he basically makes or breaks governments in australia on the regular like he was heavily involved in the recent um um dethroning of um, Prime Minister Turnbull and a bunch of others in our relentless coo- parliamentary coups over the past 10 years. So, yeah. I think, like, uh, one study from 2011 that I saw said that Murdoch's empire controls, I think, 59% of all newspapers sold in Australia. So it is, like, a very significant uh, media holdings in all three of the names. Yeah, countries. I actually think it's higher now. Hmm. Um they changed media regulation laws slightly and the um, the fact that he um, owns that percentage of papers sold in Australia also doesn't reflect the regional um, free, like, weekly publications. Oh, really? So there are, yeah, so there's, like, for example, I live on the Northern Beaches in Sydney and so there's, like, a, a daily newspaper that's free. It's called Manly Daily. And I'm pretty sure that's Murdoch-owned um, and it's basically like advertisers-supported, but it's a propaganda rag, like they all are. So the fact that it has no cover price and it's not paid for 
um, doesn't mean that it's not distributed to every house in in the in the region, right? So like just because it, he owns that percentage of papers that are um, paid for, it doesn't actually reflect the breadth of the, his like newspaper distribution. Is it mostly just used to roll up and kill giant spiders, though? <laughs> <laughs> no, we like we keep them as pets. <laughs> 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 I'm learning a lot. Either or, depending on how many cobwebs are in your brain, I suppose. Um, I really enjoy the fact that Americans are so scared of Australia. It's so incredibly, like, pedestrian and metropolitan when you're here. Well, like, like 50% of the stuff that's exported here is, you know, I, I mean, as you're probably well aware, it's just someone walking through the outback being like, oh, it's it kill me if I don't move my finger. Like... Yeah, because that's what your fucking idiot market wants to see. <laughs> well, yeah, obviously. Sorry. All I know, <laughs> Amy, is... That's not a knife. <laughs> every time that I Google deadly spiders or deadly snakes is my most direct interaction with your country. <laughs> <laughs> because the top 10 are always like half of them in Australia. <laughs> Sounds like you have a particularly Australian king. Some kind of like fetish <laughs> Australian snakes. I don't know, even know if I'd want to see what comes up if I Google that shit. <laughs> I'm on incognito, don't worry. Are there actually no giant spiders? And it's just like a ploy to keep people out of Australia. <laughs> there was a Facebook account that uh, said that all of Australia is a hoax and that if you fly to Australia, you're uh, actually flying to South America and meeting actors pretending that they are Australians. <laughs> And that all of this was done to cover up a genocide of British prisoners. Yeah, because, like, we wouldn't want the, you know, the Brits or, like, the white colonizers to have anything like that on their hands. It's a good thing we covered it up. Um, but so I just wanted I like to, co- to cover up a genocide of white people by denying a genocide <laughs> of the average. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, clearly that's what's happening in South Africa at the moment. Mm. Um, But so I just wanted to kind of go through uh, uh, Rupert Murdoch's life uh, uh, briefly, chronologically, because, of course, we won't have time to get to everything. And then we can talk particularly about the uh, the phone hacking scandal and the scandal at uh, Fox News in the United States. And uh, Amy, if at any time you know something that we know we do not know, which I'm sure will occur often, but you can just jump in and let us know and uh, lend your perspective to this as a, uh, uh, a native Australian and a uh, very educated person, unlike all of us, except for Steve. <laughs> yeah, tell, always feel free to tell Sean to shut up. The rest of us appreciate it. <laughs> and my tyrannical control over this podcast and the uh, sequencing of information. Um, but just to kind of like start with Rupert Murdoch, uh, for listeners who aren't aware, uh, if you're wondering how old money Rupert Murdoch is, his father, his grandfather, and his great-grandparents all have Wikipedia articles about them. Um, he was, uh, his great-grandparents moved from Scotland to Victoria in the mid-19th uh, century. His great-grandfather and grandfather were Presbyterian ministers. And then his father, Sir Keith Murdoch, was, according to Michael Wolfe, at one point, the most powerful newspaper publisher in Australia. He was uh, uh, a war correspondent uh, for a paper uh, during World War One. He went to see the uh, Australian troops at Gallipoli with that um, uh, turkey shoot of Australians yeah. in uh, actual <laughs> Turkey. Uh, 
Um, but so apparently he went and he saw the troops. He, he, he went to watch uh, Ottoman target practice. <laughs> watch the Ottomans calibrate their machine guns. <laughs> apparently he went out there and he wrote like some um, uh, very critical report that said, hey, the British are just getting Australians slaughtered over here. And then it was like initially censored, but eventually it, it made its way back to the British government and circulated among government and then eventually resulted in some people getting fired and these kinds of stuff. So it was kind of like... It made his career, so to speak. Um, but so he was a war correspondent in World War One. but then he comes back and starts setting up a media empire in Australia. He is um, eventually knighted in 1933. He becomes Sir Keith Murdoch. And uh, just an interesting thing about his life, before we get into Rupert, um, his papers, his newspapers, gave support to uh, the labor politician Joseph uh, Leons, Joseph Leons, uh, a labor uh, prime minister of Australia. Um, he gave him his support in 1931, but he later regretted it in 1936, and he said, quote, I put him there and I'll put him out. And so it's just kind of interesting where it's like Rupert Murdoch exercises all this control over our politics and our government, but even his own father exercised a similar degree over, of control over Australian politics in his time. He was the head of propaganda for the Australian government during World War II, uh, for a time, Keith, uh, Sir Keith Murdoch was. He eventually had to resign. Uh, he, he was accused of being a Goebbels-like figure uh, in Australia. And uh, then he just went back to his media empire, I mean, they basically. They hire someone for head of propaganda. <laughs> Not sure what they were expecting. But... Uh, so he was the um, uh, chairman of the Herald and the Weekly Times, the Australian papers, and uh, his uh, son Rupert Murdoch was born 1931 in Melbourne in an uh, extremely privileged upbringing uh, to the uh, most powerful newspaper man in Australia. And um, I just wanted to ask you, Amy, uh, from my research, there were three big media families in Australia, the Fairfaxes, the Packers, and the Murdochs. Do you happen to just know anything about those names? Yeah, it's pretty much like, um, to a large extent, still the case. Um, so the Fairfaxes are no longer in control of their particular um like their legacy publications but they still exist so i don't know if you guys have heard of the age or the sydney morning herald they'd probably be two of the largest i read it every morning yeah sure you do sure you do (laughs) so they'd probably be two of the largest like legacy papers um from the from like the fairfax family originally but that subsequently a lot of the fairfax media has um been subsumed by or with Channel 9, which is actually predominantly owned by the um, Packer family. So, like, it's all just incredibly incestuous and, like, pretty much remains in the hands of, like, two families even to this day, like the Packers and the Murdochs. Well, it's interesting because, like, um, we've kind of made fun of uh, Forbes magazine gives people a self-made score on a scale of 1 to 10, and they give Rupert Murdoch a 7 out of 10 self-made. And it's like... Again, he was born to the most powerful newspaper publisher in uh, all of Australia and had an enormous amount of capital. Like his genius strategy, like was taking London tabloid style and then transferring it to all the papers he was able to buy with the massive amounts of capital he had. So, I mean, it's like... I believe the time you're looking for is um, creative destruction. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. 
Um, but yeah, like I mean, I like I don't mean to be a total fucking Marxist stuff in here, but like I don't even recognize the premise of something like self-made. Like to me, that's an incoherent concept. Like it doesn't make any fucking sense. Nobody's self-made. Yeah, even right. somebody just- who like bootstraps it from you know the bottom of a socioeconomic ladder like they're fundamentally able to do that because they happen to be not just incredibly hardworking, but also in the right place at the right time they were able to leverage the right connections they were helped by the right people they got you know an education that facilitated that like i just the premise to me is one i reject out of hand but, like, even if I didn't, right, the idea that somebody who was born to a fucking <laughs> newspaper <laughs> magnet and just, like, educated at the best private schools and just fucking rolling in dough. It's like, give it a break. It's like Trump with his, like, I got, I got a small however many million dollars from my dad. It's like, bitch, most people can't even get, like, a home down payment on loan from their folks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Most people are left with debts from their family, right? <laughs> yeah. my, actually, right. not even uh, not not only is it a coherent um, theory for Forbes magazine, but they actually have a cardinal scale <laughs> for it. And uh, Rupert Murdoch is what? He's a seven. He's a seven out of ten. Yes. Yeah. My understanding of the phrase "self-made man" is it's just synonymous with lucky psychopath. <laughs> like, yes. Yes, it's, <laughs> that's exactly it. I, I remember I watched a, like a little thing on uh, Rupert Murdoch yesterday where it was like, oh, he he just armed with a small newspaper and a dream. He took over media. And it reminded me of the RNC. I don't know if anyone remembers this. When they, when they have like a little video about the candidate and they try to make it look like a hard scrabble story. And Donald Trump's was just the most ridiculous one where it's like he only inherited a, um, some real estate in Queens, but he dreamed of moving to Manhattan. <laughs> like just desperate, like, you know, ideology, trying to reaffirm the ideology of self-made. Hmm. Um, and so just to kind of like go through the uh, uh, start chronologically with Rupert Murdoch, he was born in 1931 in Melbourne. As was just mentioned, he attends a prep school. <laughs> sorry, can you say that again? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, he was... Uh, where, no, like where was he born? <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> this is... The, I'm so tired of the bullying that occurs against me say on this podcast. <laughs> He, uh, Rupert Murdoch was born in Melbourne, Australia. Mel- Melbourne. <laughs> Melbourne, Australia. Mel- Melbourne. Me- Melbourne. Melbourne. Melbourne, Australia. <laughs> no, just like just like ram the second half of it together. You M- just don't need to articulate it properly. And then M-E-L-B-N. He was born in Australia. Melbourne. <laughs> Regardless of how one might pronounce the city Rupert Murdoch was born in. <laughs> He was born, <laughs> he was born 1931, uh, and uh, Michael Wolff is uh, the journalist who wrote that Fire and Fury book that uh, Trump was all pissed about. But he also wrote a biography of Rupert Murdoch, which Murdoch cooperated with and then got angry about. It was called The Man Who Owns the News. And just according to uh, Michael Wolff, uh, Rupert Murdoch attends private prep school in Australia. I think he's on the cricket team. Uh, according to Wolff, he wasn't very well liked, but he hated sports and authority. 
And then Wolf just kind of talks about his early life. Uh, when he was 19 years old, Rupert Murdoch and his father, again, the most powerful newspaper man in Australia, they, they visited the United States and they met President Harry Truman in the White House. Uh, and this was right before Rupert Murdoch headed to Oxford University in 1950. So again, very privileged upbringing. Oh, he also meets the Pope in Rome along with his father. <laughs> so these kinds of connections that give you a self-made 7 out of 10 score uh, from Forbes magazine. But one random fact I found... Uh, from Though, Sean, despite what you might have been taught in your upbringing, meeting the Pope doesn't make you give you like a magic <laughs> <laughs> inroads to success. Was able to leverage his connection with the Pope to influence the JFK government in the United States. Um, but you know what I mean? It can get you off historical sex offense. <laughs> <laughs> he would utilize his experience with the uh, Pope's management of the church to run Fox News. Yeah. Um, but so the random thing that I found from this uh, Michael Wolf book that I found interesting was during the time Rupert Murdoch was at Oxford, he was a supporter of the British Labour Party and kept a bust of Vladimir Lenin on the mantle in his room. <laughs> So Wait, yeah, what? so that's just Hello. the the kind of thing that happens before you inherit the money. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean it's not like we'd have any um, bourgeois brats laughing. <laughs> <laughs> but enough about the Washington D.C. area DSA. <laughs> Did you know that Lennon's dad was rich too? Shout out DSA, we love you. <laughs> Uh, but so according to Michael Wolff, uh, Rupert Murdoch has bad grades at Oxford, but he's still, he's very interested in media at this time. Um, just one random story from Murdoch's life. Uh, he, he takes a summer road trip through Eastern Europe and Greece in a car purchased by his father, uh, which he totals in a car accident in Turkey. This is before 1952, I think 51 or 52. But again, you know, these all kind of hard scrabble upbringings where everyone gets to take a road trip through Europe and then smash their car and have no consequences <laughs> whatsoever. Uh, but so in 1952, Rupert Murdoch's father dies. Um, and so this is a pretty defining uh, point for Murdoch's life. Uh, his father leaves him a big stake in a Queensland newspaper, LTD, which uh, owns several papers in Australia. His mother, Rupert Murdoch's mother, ends up selling much of this stake uh, in order to like pay off debts and all these things. But essentially, uh, his father dies, leaving Rupert Murdoch in charge of a company called News LTD, which would today become News Corp, which owned a... Self in charge of self-made ink. <laughs> Uh, so this this company owned, uh, and I'm about to get hammered for pronouncing this, uh, a paper called Adelaide News, A-D-E-L-A-I-D-E. -E. No, you fucking nailed it. You nailed it. Adelaide oh, News. Yeah. All right, sweet. Hooray. Um, this was a 75,000 circulation newspaper, and this is kind of like the crown jewel that Rupert Murdoch starts out with in addition to all of the capital um, that he inherited. But essentially, he uh, inherits this paper. He becomes the chief executive of it. But before he does that, he goes to work for the Daily Express in London at 22 years old. And he spends, I think, a year or two there. And it's at the Daily Express in London where he learns the British tabloid style. And this is what he kind of imports to Australia and then perfects upon. The, the running theme with his newspapers is a focus on scandal and sports. 
you know, and also uh, naked women. When he when he buys the Sun uh, in the United Kingdom in the seventies, he tells his uh, editor uh, in chief that he quote I want a tearaway paper with lots of tits in it is what Rupert Murdoch said about the Sun. So it is just kind of like the modern tabloid style, according to the Economist. Rupert Murdoch was one of the inventors or big propagators of this. A lot of which he borrowed from kind of what they were doing in London in the 50s. Wait, this is the same guy who uh, whose news organization was riddled with sex <laughs> <laughs> Shockingly enough. Um, but yeah, I mean, and so this kind of like just brings you up to the, the 50s. He inherits his father's paper and he kind of goes on an acquisition spree in Australia. He buys the Sunday Times in Perth, as we were just discussing. Uh, in 1956, he buys the Daily Mirror in 1960. He starts expanding into New Zealand. And uh, again, you know, it's kind of a tabloid style. Focus on sports and scandal is his big innovation. And eventually he's able to move into the United Kingdom, which is what gives him the capital to form his media empire. Oh, I, uh, apparently he launched uh, a national paper, The Australian, in 1964. I was just wondering, Amy, have you ever seen this thing? <laughs> have I ever? <laughs> it's a total fucking propaganda rag. It's a, um, it's, a lo- it's a loss leader. Like, he still runs it at a massive loss. Um, and basically, it's just sort of like, it's like a conservative make-work project, basically. Like, it's, yeah, it's trash. Like... I don't know if you've ever seen any of the, like, especially scandalous, like, super blatantly racist Australian cartoons that tend to go viral every now and again. <laughs> well, no, but I'd like to. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're almost certainly always um, cartoonists from the Australian. It's, yeah, it's, it's a conservative make-work rag. So remember, listeners, that's at GrubstakersPod on Twitter if you'd like to share them with us. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know the one the the picture of Serena Williams recently that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. made the rounds yeah that was from an Australian cartoonist <laughs> man I'm I mean we're already behind we're France there. France is, <laughs> uh, I mean like I hate to like endorse anything that he says but like. John Oliver had it exactly right when he said that Australians wear their racism like a comfortable slipper. (laughs) (laughs) It is fucking blatant. Um, Like, we don't have the same woke lottery (laughs) that y'all have. And I don't know what's better and what's worse, to be honest. Right? Like, like just submerging, like, completely racist sensibilities underneath, like, you know, polite fucking euphemisms like whether that's any better i'm not sure but like we literally have like um like um what are they called like um i like like the really old school like um like mammy drawings and like um what are they called like that just yeah just basically the kind of cartoons that you would have expected to find in the early 20th century in the u.s so just like par for the course in australia in 2018 like no biggie and that's uh murdoch's story well i like that uh, yeah, australia repealed their carbon tax right yeah yeah that that had nothing to do with rupert <laughs> <laughs> everything to <clears throat> yeah but it is kind of cute that uh, your country is following us into global warming denial. But like, even if you were doing the right thing, it doesn't matter because we're going to kill the planet anyways. 
<laughs> and I mean, let's not kid ourselves. We're a fucking satellite state in the US anyway, so. Maybe global warming is divine punishment for racist cartoons. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, but like we all know that the country's first likely to get submerged are not ours. So yeah. It's kind of a cruel twist of fate. I mean, if I were to pick divine punishment for racist cartoons, it would be uh, getting your offices shot up in France. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> That's <laughs> just me, Charlie. <laughs> but uh, sorry, please, please do carry on. <laughs> but Amy, you were mentioning that his paper is a loss leader, and it is an interesting thing from like various things I read about Rupert Murdoch. Is essentially like, you know, like his uh, Sky Network and his Fox News and stuff. A lot of his television stations kind of fund his newspapers to lose money because he believes. Uh, perhaps correctly that the newspapers buy him influence even if they are not necessarily profitable because you know if there's like only three newspapers left and you control one or two of them you have a lot of sway over the editorial direction of newspapers and he's also just a proponent of the, the job guarantee the extent to which they buy him influence i think it like can't be overstated particularly in australia where like although we have sky news like we are not the cable news um station in the way that the states is so like to a huge extent like all of our radio and like early morning television and everything that like they're all getting their kind of daily um like their their daily news from the papers and given that in each capital city murdoch would own um probably two out of every three major daily papers um it's an extraordinary level of influence. Hmm. Yeah, and um, so, and this kind of brings us to, in 1968, he expands to the United Kingdom. And I think, like, uh, I don't know about Australia, but at least even more than the United States, he exercises an incredible degree over, of control over the government in the United Kingdom, where every prime minister will, like, have these private meetings with Rupert Murdoch. I think David Cameron, like, within a day of being sworn in, one of the first people he met with was Rupert Murdoch. Um, Tony Blair would famously, after taking over Labour, the Labour Party in the UK would fly to Australia in 1994 to meet directly with Rupert Murdoch and kiss the ring and essentially make peace. And we'll, we'll get back to that story later. But... Um, but so in 1968, Rupert Murdoch uh, buys the News of the World in the United Kingdom, and then he buys The Sun a year later. And it's these kind of tabloids that give him really the expanded capital to buy his U.S. media empire. And uh, we mentioned already the uh, kind of salacious way that he ran The Sun, but it is just kind of a tip. A typical like uh, tabloid um, uh, paper with heavy scandal, heavy sports coverage, lots of nudity, and um, Rupert Murdoch. He proclaims himself to be generally, you know, the libertarian, uh, you know, a pocketbook libertarian essentially, where he will sit on like the board of the Cato Institute. He's a lot like, like the Koch brothers in the sense that he himself will say, oh, I believe in a pathway to citizenship, but his paper, The Sun, is like one of the most racist anti-immigration papers in the United Kingdom because that's that's what sells the paper, you know? So it's essentially like his political beliefs are just whatever makes him money. And he has a strong degree of control over the editorial direction of all his media properties. We can just kind of uh, continue the story. Uh, 68... 
He buys these papers. He's able to really get the capital to move into the United States. 1976, he buys the New York Post. Um, he uh, moves to New York, uh, and then uh, in uh, 19, and then in 1981, he buys the Times in London, which was like a respected British paper that was having some struggles. And importantly, in the 80s, his papers all endorse Margaret Thatcher, and uh, Thatcher credits this with partly with her victory, and as uh, quid pro quo, she relaxes media ownership laws, which allows him to buy even more media space in the United Kingdom. And um, I guess we can talk about whopping as well. Um, this is our Burger King segment. <laughs> yeah. They're called Italian, Sean. Uh, So basically, uh, throughout the 1980s, he consolidates his media properties, and then what he does is, I think he owned four papers in the United Kingdom, and in 1986, he moves them all to one new um, printing press, uh, where he wants to switch to non-union labor. He uh, fires 6,000 employees who go on strike as a result, and uh, then um, the... uh, Police uh, violently disperse. They arrest like more than a thousand people uh, throughout these various strikes. They, of course, uh, beat the living hell out of uh, striking union protesters. And interestingly enough, this would result in uh, Murdoch papers having a very close relationship with uh, the London Police Department, the Metropolitan. And he still talks about that as like one of his big successes was breaking the unions and the um, printing presses. Mm hmm. But so the whopping strike in um, 1986, there's allegations that also Margaret Thatcher was involved in like helping him uh, break up uh, this union strike. And um, and I just wanted to uh, know if you had uh, any other thoughts on whopping, because this is a pretty important moment, not only in him essentially breaking the union of his unionized workforce, but also it brings him much closer to the uh, London Metropolitan Police, who, of course, would beat up the uh, striking workers <laughs> uh, demanding wages from him. Yeah, like, I mean, like, I think the extent to which the whopping strike um, had massive ramifications, like, not just on, like, the particular unions involved, but, like, the ability of unions across the entire sector. And it sort of was, like, a real watershed moment in terms of, like, like, when he claims that he broke the unions, like, he really thoroughly did. Like, they were never able to... It was it was basically on a par with like the miners' strikes of the early eighties in terms of the the degree of fuckery that it caused, and then like the inability for the unions to recover thereafter. Yeah, there were frequently there were parallels drawn frequently between the uh, union strike or between like yeah the the whopping and the um, um, uh, miners' strike in Great Britain. I also want to say that it's so offensive that. They use the traditional mafia tactic of strike breaking and call it whopping. Uh, Margaret Thatcher offered to send the people she had working in Northern Ireland to take care of the strikers. (laughs) (laughs) Um but yeah, no, and so Whopping's pretty interesting. And then there's a, a very great uh, Frontline documentary from 2012, which is about the phone hacking scandal we'll get to in a second. But they make the point that essentially after Whopping, where these uh, uh, London and uh, uh, British Metropolitan Police uh, had to or beat the shit out of these strikers and protected Rupert Murdoch's capital and property and all of that, uh, the Murdoch papers... Wait, so 
So you're saying that like the police intervened to protect Carpenter? <laughs> <laughs> it was the first occurrence in history. Weird. Uh, of uh, the police uh, protecting the capital assets of uh, of an individual. Um, it but- is funny how like the uh, police officers union is the only union that supports brutally assaulting <laughs> other unions. <laughs> <laughs> No, oh, I don't think you've met the AAMFEU. <laughs> well, they're yeah. building the builders' unions in Australia. Oh. They've got like a little, a little bit of spunk in them in that way. <laughs> oh, are there like union turf wars in, in Australia? Uh, not so much turf wars, but more just like they've been so repeatedly slugged by the right that like a lot of the people at the heads of the... I mean, uh, look, as a lefty, I don't really give a fuck. Like, I endorse it. But, like, some of the people in the top of the building unions are, like, pretty fucking thuggish. Like, it's fine. Oh, like, yeah. It, uh, honestly, <laughs> like, I'm all for no, I'm all for results. And, like, I'd rather have, like, slightly thuggish heads of building unions. But, like. It's better than yeah, sucking up to management. That, that, like, they're a bit shady. Well, there's an interesting like thing in the United States with like uh, the major builders unions supporting the wall with Mexico, and I think like <laughs> I'm paraphrasing it, but there's like an old joke here: um, builders unions, if they got the contract, they would support bulldozing their mother's graveyard or something. A <laughs> <laughs> uh, union. Well, I mean, like I think from a union perspective, that would be a fool's errand in terms of supporting the wall, because like we all know full well that fucking Trump doesn't pay his. <laughs> I think another thing with whopping is, like you said, not like knock-on effects for the whole union membership of the UK. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking up statistics, and like the during the 90s, the total union membership declined from about nine million to about seven million. Really? In the yeah. UK? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, interesting. You know, I bet the union's got a sweet-ass deal on the Giant Stadium. <laughs> um. But so, and yes, the other part of it was um, uh, whopping, as um, alleged, I think, convincingly in this Frontline documentary about the phone hacking scandal, essentially after whopping where the police protected his property, uh, the Murdoch media empire set up a very close relationship with the London Metropolitan Police, uh, whereby former retired police officers would become columnists at The Sun or whatever other paper, or uh, former Murdoch people would go on to be PR flacks for uh, the London Metropolitan Police. And this would uh, become most significant during the phone hacking scandal, where the chief of the London police would go directly to the Guardian offices and warn them not to run their story on the phone hacking scandal. So, I mean, it is just like... A very incestuous relationship between uh, government and the media and uh, private capital and all this, uh, as we've mentioned, never having occurred before in history. Um, But I wanted to uh, just kind of continue chronologically, and then we can kind of get back to uh, London. Uh, Essentially, in 1985, as we've mentioned, Rupert Murdoch becomes a naturalized U.S. citizen so that he can buy a television station in the United States. Uh, What he buys is uh, what would become 20th Century Fox, Uh, from Mark Rich, who we've mentioned on a previous episode. Essentially, he was uh, selling weapons to Iran, and uh, the government is the only... The U.S. government are the only people allowed to sell weapons to Iran. (laughs) So he was, of course... uh, (laughs) He was... uh, 
he, uh, Mark Rich was indicted, and essentially they were worried the U.S. government was going to seize control of his ownership stake of uh, 20th Century Fox, so he had to sell it at a fire sale price to Rupert Murdoch. Rupert Murdoch, from this deal, gets six television stations, which would become Fox Network, and uh, they would get early hits with The X-Files and The Simpsons. Mm-hmm. And then interestingly enough, um, maybe we put it in the end of the episode, there's a speech where Nicole Kidman presents an award to Rupert Murdoch and thanks him for The Simpsons. (laughs) (laughs) Because as we all know, he did the voice of a poo. (laughs) Um, But yes, uh, thank you for providing the capital for The Simpsons (laughs) that you inherited from your monster of a father. (laughs) Yeah, Stephen looked into this a bit. Yeah. I mean, when you say it was a fire sale, um, like some a lot of analysts like, like evaluated Fox twentieth century Fox at close to a billion dollars. He hmm. ended up acquiring all of it for about five hundred and thirty million. Nice. Yeah. That's how you get a self made score out of seven out of ten. <laughs> yeah, I mean that was all just that was all him and also the Iran hostage crisis. <laughs> Many thanks to the US Attorney's Office for your assistance with the purchase of uh twentieth century Fox. <laughs> Um, but so, and just kind of like uh, closing out the story and bringing us mostly up to the present, 1989, Rupert Murdoch buys HarperCollins. He uh, starts the satellite network, uh, B Sky B, in 1990. He makes a big bet on Premier League soccer. Um, it's a UK and I guess Australian satellite network as well. Um, and he would this very year be thwarted in his attempt to buy, uh, buy out complete control of it. Instead, he's just currently the largest uh, stakeholder. But we'll kind of get into the phone hacking scandal prevents him from um, taking over all of it. In 1996, he launches Fox News, um, which we'll talk about in a second. In 2005, he famously buys MySpace for $580 million. Uh, He sells it for... Th- <laughs> He sells it for $35 million in 2011. It was, it was more of a gift so to Roger Ailes. He, he spent $50 million more on MySpace than he did Fox. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. Um, of course, buys the Wall Street Journal in 2007. Mostly brings us up to the present, but I wanted to uh, just talk about the two big kind of scandals are the phone hacking and Fox News, and then we can see what else is, is left to cover. What happened in the United Kingdom, throughout the 2000s, perhaps even into the late 90s, reporters at Murdoch Papers, in order to get gossip, were hacking into the voicemails of basically everyone significant in the country. And this like came to light the first time when um, Prince William, they ran a story about him uh, hurting his knee that was only possible to know if you listened to his voicemails. So, of course, the only yeah, reason... He just, like, left a voicemail on, like, a friend's phone. It was like, ah, my knee got a little naked, didn't it? And then they ran that as a story, but it was never released to the public because it got <laughs> fine. And so... Uh, as always happens, um, basically, this might have never come out, except for they did it to a member of the royal family. <laughs> yeah, you got to know your limits. Yeah. Um, but so, and this is kind of like where the close c- uh, connection with the uh, uh, London Metropolitan Police comes in. Also, by the way, uh, the um, I highly recommend the Frontline documentary, um, mostly for interview segments like this when they're talking about Murdoch. He's a pretty rounded guy. I mean, compared to a lot of people watching this documentary, he'll be a lot more rounded than they are, sitting there grinding their teeth and gnashing them away. Yeah. <laughs> 
a, a lot of our listeners just self-consciously stopped grinding their teeth. <laughs> um, but so just to kind of go through the phone hacking scandal quickly, um, it, as we mentioned, they were hacking into the voicemails. One labor MP got Rebecca Brooks, um, the head of one of Murdoch's papers, to admit that she that they were paying police officers in the United Kingdom for information and other purposes back in 2003 at a parliamentary hearing, which was, of course, illegal. And in response, the Murdoch papers uh, outed him as being gay and then smeared him in the press for years afterwards. Um, and then the close connection with the police comes in because uh, the Prince William story, essentially the police conduct like a, uh, what do you want to call it, a cover-up investigation where they say there were only eight victims of this when there were like more than a thousand of phone hacking. It included it, a like 13-year-old girl who had been murdered. Millie Dowler. And they took her, uh, they listened to her voicemails and then may have deleted a couple of them on her phone, interfering with an active missing person slash murder investigation. Yes, and they were also hacking the voicemails of uh, murder, the family members of murdered British soldiers and all this other stuff. And eventually, like in 2011, this kind of comes to a head after the Guardian and the New York Times write about it. And uh, as a result, he is not able to buy B-Sky B all uh, his oh. controlling shares um there and they would also like try to intimidate journalists and um uh politicians who were trying to look into this including mm-hmm. tom watson who was a labor mp mm-hmm. um apparently he was being followed by member or by like private investigators hired by news corp and then uh eventually so police officers police officers yeah <laughs> Eventually, like, they finally, like, were able to get uh, Murdoch's son to, uh, well, they got Murdoch uh, to testify before Parliament and Murdoch's son. And I think Watson got his uh, revenge with this uh, interaction with his son. you with the word mafia? Yes, Mr. Watson. Mr. Murdoch, you must be the first mafia boss in history. You didn't know he was running a criminal enterprise. Mr. Watson, please. I think that's inappropriate. (laughs) Which I think it's just the best, like, soggy, like, that's not polite. Please stop. Um, but, um, Amy, was uh, the phone hacking scandal, was that a big deal in Australia at all? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was covered, like, pretty relentlessly here. It was, like, um, covered live and, yeah, pretty ongoing. I remember, like, being the fucking nerd that I am sitting and watching, like, hours and hours of it. At the time, what was it like 2011, 2012? Yeah, 2011, 2012 is when it really broke. When, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm a total night owl, so I remember like in the middle of the night watching significant <laughs> portions of it. I mean, it's like it's to imp- my mind, the biggest highlight was when he copped a pie in the face and went, oh, down yes, and, like full tiger mom <laughs> jumped in front. Yeah. He was at a parliamentary hearing in the United Kingdom and some protester tried to pie him in the face and his then wife, Wendy Dang Murdoch, uh, deflected. <laughs> yeah, but it turns out she was cocking him with um, Tony Blair. Yes, <laughs> that's the great ending to the Tony Blair story. <laughs> which, which, like, so that no, if you want to talk self-made, I reckon Wendy Deng, self-made is all fuck. She's been grifting her way like around a whole bunch of octogenarians. Oh yeah, yeah. it's brilliant. Yeah, someone what was it? One of us, or uh, I think it was Yogi or Stephen, found that like now she's kind of like. Hooking up with Putin or something? 
Yeah, there was. Oh yeah, yeah. There was a story that she's with Putin, Tony Blair, Rupert Murdoch, but just like she's a hustler. She's a hustler. Good on her. Yeah, I'll be releasing a Twitter thread um, about the game theory of that. (laughs) 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 We can tie her to the hacking of the elections. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, just like by the way, Tony Blair is the definition of a fake friend. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah, just to give the Tony Blair story quickly because I find this fascinating. As we mentioned, um, the uh, uh, Murdoch papers supported Margaret Thatcher's conservatives. They were uh, attributed to the victory of John Major, I think, in 1992 over Labor's Neil Kinnock because they had like I think the Sun had a headline like "Will the last person to leave Britain if Labor wins turn out the lights?" or something <laughs> like that. And so. Uh, Basically, the Murdoch papers were extremely hostile to the Labour government in the United Kingdom. So, 1994, Tony Blair flies to Australia and meets with Rupert Murdoch privately to kiss the ring. He, of course, uh, becomes a uh, much more uh, pro-business Labour government, you know, neoliberal, Clintonian, centrism, whatever you want. I mean, that was the moment when sort of the third way was really in shape and sort of represented a fundamental, you know, it was like the shift from old Labour to new Labour. Mm-hmm. Like, sort of analogous to sort of the triangulation of Clinton as well. Right. And so the Murdoch papers, the Murdoch media empire endorsed Tony Blair after this 1994 pilgrimage. He, of course, becomes the prime minister. And uh, uh, Tony Blair and Rupert Murdoch strike up a friendship uh, to the point where Tony Blair actually becomes the godfather to one of his two daughters with his third wife, Wendy Dang. Uh, And then Rupert Murdoch and Wendy Dang divorce in 2013 after allegations that she had an affair with Tony Blair. And um, I like in my head the idea that Tony Blair was actually a good labor man all along. (laughs) 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 Because he just set up this long con to cuck a billionaire (laughs) and make a class statement. Supporting the war in Iraq. That was all part of it. He's like assuring Jeremy Corbyn, like, no, this is all part. Yeah. I have to do this. Way, it's like a 40-year plan. <laughs> in, in a way, I helped you, didn't I? <laughs> but yes, uh, Tony Blair uh, would famously, uh, allegedly cock Rupert Murdoch. Um, but I did just want to mention, it is pretty impressive that we were talking about the coverage of um, this phone hacking scandal with so much of the Australian media controlled by um, Rupert Murdoch. And I just wanted to drop about the Fox News. So essentially, like, one, uh, Stuart Varney is another uh, hack Fox business host. (laughs) He's one of the worst. He's so hardcore. Right. I mean, it's just like an irritating thing about this country where people, like, assume, they hear a British accent and assume that somebody has anything intelligent to say. But uh, there's a really a priceless moment uh, on Fox where uh, uh, Stuart Varney is interviewing Rupert Murdoch and asks him about the phone hacking scandal. All around the country, and certainly here in New York, is that the News of the World, a news corporation newspaper in Britain, used... I'm not not talking about that issue at all today, I'm sorry. Okay, no worries, Mr. Chairman, that's fine. (laughs) I'm sorry. So... That's the hard-hitting journalism of Stuart Varney and holding wanna, his boss's feet to the fire. In a minute, I want to... Um, Sounded almost like a malice there. <laughs> I'm sorry, Chairman. <laughs> in, in a second, I want to talk about like Murdoch's pivot to education uh, that I got from this other... Um, this Wall Street Journal interview that is just a master class in kissing your boss's ass. Like... It just how deferential these guys are to Rupert Murdoch whenever he's interviewed on his own station is just 
it, it's it's a thing to behold. Right. And so the long and short of the phone hacking scandal is that Rupert Murdoch has to issue like two public apologies in his papers where he goes, we're so sorry. This is never going to happen again. We're going to make all these changes. Um, Lol. Yeah, right. <laughs> and uh, some minor people, uh, including Rebecca Brooks, go to jail. Uh, Lachlan. Uh, well, and like, to be fair, like, I don't think she was minor. She yeah. was like very much his right hand man. Right. Or, but, um, yes. But yeah, I mean, like, in all seriousness, like, the. Like, yeah. they. She, like, she was very well rewarded for taking the hit. Yeah. Right, I think she went like right back to the paper after getting out of prison. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> how, how absolutely. Long was she in? Uh, it was less than a year, I think. I don't know exactly how long she did because she actually admitted to a felony during the the proceeding. Right, uh, and um, paying accepting oh, paying think, bribes to. I think I have that right here. Uh, police. How long was she in prison? Ever I think she only wound up spending like a few months in, like behind bars. In the end, I hope she came out with some like bomb ass tats. <laughs> like a black teardrop. <laughs> yeah, she's she's probably gaining now, actually. Yeah, she's like super buff. But okay, here's the paid police. Oh no, thing. I'm sorry. She was charged, but she was actually cleared. Uh, she was charged uh, in 2012, but in 2014 she was cleared of all charges. <laughs> Do either of your newspapers ever use private detectives? Ever bug or pay the police? We have paid the police um, for information in the past. And, it's been <laughs> and that was at a parliamentary hearing in 2003, which was, again, admitting to a felony, paying police officers, and uh, eight years before the phone hacking scandal. And then the other great thing is, like, her, um, the guy who was with her there, I think her editor, uh, was essentially, like, trying to clear... Yeah, he was, like, there at the hearing, and he was trying to clarify, no, but we only do it in a legal way. <laughs> <laughs> Which, there's no legal way to pay police officers. Um, but yeah, so the long and short of this is... Oh, and also there's allegations that Murdoch's son, uh, Lachlan Murdoch, lied to Parliament about this phone hacking. So um, That's highly inappropriate, I think. Right. But essentially, like, their media empire is not broken up. Um, they are ultimately... There's what's called the Levins, Levison Inquiry in the United Kingdom... Uh, and then David Cameron, again, very close relationship with Rupert Murdoch, promises that there will be a Levinson Inquiry Part 2, which is supposed to uh, explore the um, uh, the relationship between journalists and the police in the United Kingdom. And that was, as of this year, shut down by Theresa May. So there will not be a Levinson Inquiry Part 2. Um, I'm sure she had a good reason. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, and, and so essentially they're chastised, but things kind of continue as normal without any real major disruptions, except they're not able to buy out their controlling share of B Sky B, which they probably otherwise would have been able to do. Oh. For now. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess uh, we can talk a bit about the Fox News scandal and then just kind of wrap up. Yes. Yeah, so... Um Turns out Roger Ailes, who uh, was put in charge of Fox News, uh, do you know when he was, Stephen? Uh, he was well. Richard, Fox News uh, was founded in 1996, I yeah. believe. Right. Ailes was he the was, right he from was the there from the jump. I yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was okay. the first CEO. And he was he was a former Nixon guy and apparently a well-known sex hound. Apparently, um, and there's a documentary coming out about him in December, uh, and. Someone in like one of the previews said described him as like someone who had this attitude like if you want to play with the big boys you have to sleep with the big boys, 
uh, which I feel like he stole from what I said to Sean when he approached me about this podcast. <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, the the news story really like broke when Gretchen Carlson from Fox and Friends, um, allegedly she uh, was being harassed by Steve Ducey and uh, spoke out about him, uh, which is, I, I find it interesting because Steve Ducey is probably the dumbest person on television who works without a script. And I just get the idea that like when she first started to try to like report him, people were like, no, no, no. He's just, we don't want to look ableist. (laughs) He just does that. Um, And so uh, basically Roger Ailes, um, he started reprisals against her. He would say that, um, well, this would work out better if we started a sexual relationship Uh, He demoted her to an afternoon show and eventually fired her. And what really, that would have just been a kind of one-off thing. But then uh, Megyn Kelly uh, also uh, spoke out against Ailes. Hero. Yeah. (laughs) I'm guessing his sexual advances ruined her uh, Dutch Christmas blackface Santa party. (laughs) Um, But that uh, took down Ailes. And one of the most fun things to watch on YouTube, you can just see these clips of the most smug BBC reporters cornering Roger Ailes and like asking him about it in like Manhattan. Just it's it's so clear how much the BBC and uh, the Guardian hate Roger Ailes, and they just have the best Schadenfreude. Um, and so, great pronunciation. Oh, danke schön. Uh, Did you learn that word in Melbourne? <laughs> <laughs> It's probably... It's, I mean... Oh, yeah, go ahead. I mean, you guys know I'm prone to um, casting a bit of a side eye at anything Me Too related. Uh-huh. And, um, I think it's probably worth mentioning that, like, Greta Van Zostrin and Megan Kelly, they're no fucking heroes and they're not whistleblowers. Like, they waited until such a time as that fat old toad was about to croak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They'd no. garnered as much money as they could from the network and they were pretty much ready to jump ship anyway. But, but Amy, then, did you see that report Megyn Kelly did about the new Black Panther Party blocking the polls and intimidating people when <laughs> Obama was being reelected? She saved a lot of lives. Right. Okay, of course, yeah. I feel like she was um, really obviously... A lot of unfair aspersions were cast on her in the wake of her very reasonable questions just this past Halloween. <laughs> but um, leaving that injustice aside, I I just think that it's worth mentioning. Like, they were more than happy to leverage Fox News to enhance their own careers and turn a blind eye to everything that was going on there. Like, be thoroughly complicit in all of it for as long as it was working for them. And once it um, no longer worked for them and when it became more amenable for them to speak out about what had been going on there, they then, like, did an about-face and sort of came out as these kind of, you know, whistleblowing heroes. Like, they weren't fucking heroes. They worked there for, like... You know, that shit had been going on for over two decades, right? Mm-hmm. And they hadn't seen fit to say anything because it was not useful to them. Um, 
And I just think that, like, I have very little time for that and very little respect for that. Like, I don't think that there are any form of whistleblowing heroes. Like, had the chips fallen slightly differently, had Ailes still been powerful, had, like, the degree of, like, egregious payouts towards some of the biggest, like, rapey creeps. Like, uh, for instance, like, someone like Bill O'Reilly, I think, at a certain point, it had paid out more than $40 million mm. in and settlements like it was at the point where like it was reaching a tipping point and that's when they sort of come out like come off it you know what i mean like they had enough um of a media presence and enough of a commanding authority that had they come out 10 years earlier um they could have really prevented pretty egregious abuses of power and i think when it comes to media networks like those ones um two of the leading like the leading news anchors there in terms of women are not going to be the ones who are faced with like the most egregious sex abuses on a daily basis, right? Like it would have been interns and other journalists coming up through the ranks there that were copying that rapey shit from all the men in that place. And women like Greta Van Susteren and Megan Kelly stayed quiet the whole fucking time right so like i just i don't have a great deal of time for them sort of coming out when it becomes expedient to do so but they were happy to stay fucking quiet when it suited them, you know mm. now amy it sounds like if i'm interpreting this correctly you're not clap emoji believing <laughs> clap emoji women <laughs> clap emoji um i guess what i'm saying is like I'm an apologist, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Why aren't you centering but millionaires? Seriously, I just think that, like, we need to be really clear about, like, the political incentives in play and, like, the, the contradictions that are operative in anything mm. like this. Like, the idea of believing all women is fucking obscene mm -hmm. in much the same way oh, wait, as I believing all men that. is obscene. <laughs> like, we need to be adults, like, put your fucking big boy pants on and like actually assess the situation at hand. Like we don't need like thought terminating cliches to help us understand a pretty complex world. Well, right? Yeah. Like you need the intersectional inter intersectional analysis of events, right? So you have lots of wealthy white women like, who are benefiting from the keeping their mouths shut about the abuses of a lot of other people within the Fox News family. Oh yeah. Within a reactionary propaganda network and so, and <laughs> that has radicalized it, a know. generation of baby boomers. Sorry, yeah. I d I'm a little bit triggered by the word intersectional. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with the premise. I, I'm I triggered by your not I, respecting I, clap emojis. Pardon? I, I'm triggered by your lack of respect for the clap emojis I used. That's supposed to end all conversations. Well, I feel like as a um, POC woman, you should probably be elevating my voice instead of questioning me. Damn it. Uh, I'm sorry, Andy. We got to fire you from the podcast now. <laughs> <laughs> she has you beat on the identity spectrum. Wait, so I've, I've been it's kicking true, this. It's true. I've been kicking this in my head, Amy, because you just mentioned. Uh, so you've mentioned on your podcast that you're uh, half Lebanese, right? Yeah. And you're yeah. half white Australian. Is that correct? Yeah, I guess. Are, like, I don't. Yeah. Are you familiar? Like my are you familiar with uh, millennial comedian Dan Ninan? Uh, is that like, uh, I feel like maybe he's a Gen Xer. 
But that could just be be me being a ruthless cynic. I'm 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 sure he's a millennial. He has he has a bit where he says I'm half uh, (laughs) Japanese, (laughs) half Indian, so I get my sushi at the Seven Eleven. And I I I realized if you need an opener, uh, you could say I am half white Australian, half Lebanese, so I get my shrimp on the Barbie from waltzing with Bashir. Yeah, that that's a bit exhausting, mate. <laughs> Just if you need an opener. You know what? I regret thinking hey. about this all week, and Yogi's going to cut this. Also, also FYI, um, speaking of Americans and Australian cultural cringe, um, we actually, you know how like, Hogan says, put another shrimp on the barbie? Hilariously. Um, we don't use the term shrimp. It doesn't mean anything here. Oh, is it prawns? Pardon? Is it prawns? Yeah, prawns. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Good to but know. But shrimp was like totally tailored to the American market, which is why it's fucking hilarious when Americans <laughs> say it to us. They're like, yeah, that like sounds American to us. Well, it's a good thing uh, Andy brought up Dan Ninen because I was worried this week we didn't have any jokes that we stole from Chapo that Chapo stole from Comtown. <laughs> 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 Come on, I get my shrimp on the barbie from waltzing with Bashir. <laughs> That's a, that was a good one, actually. Um, but so I guess to just kind of like uh, uh, close out the Fox News thing, um, it, it was, of course, reported to, to death. Uh, Roger Ailes had a reputation for sexual harassment going back to the 1970s, which... You really have to have a serious reputation to get called for sexual harassment in the 1970s. Um, but so, and then he had a network of, you know, spying on employees at Fox News. They had a network of payoffs, both Roger Ailes and Bill O'Reilly. And Rupert Murdoch essentially knew what was going on, but ignored it because these people were making him money. But I guess if there's nothing else on that, I just have some random gossip from the Michael Wolf book I can share with you guys, and then we can close out. I've got, I've got one thing. So... Uh, Murdoch has, um, from that, this is just kind of an odd thing on like his current, uh, career trajectory is he, um, in in the wall street journal, uh, interview with the suck up guy, he was talking about his pivot to education. And, uh, so I've found these like two audio clips that I thought were pretty interesting. Here's the first one. Really worrying what's happened over the last 50 years. It was only about amongst the white population. The rich got richer. Whereas the 80 percent is really gone, it's terrible. It's gone from 5 percent to 40 percent single mothers. Uh, they don't see the chance to break through. And the answer is not, I think, just to say, look, you've got to flatten the rich. The answer, it's education. <laughs> just people have got to have, get through you know, a good high school education to start with. Right. Then they're on their own. So what's, <laughs> what's great about that is that he acknowledges the inequality problem, but his answer is exactly the same as Obama's, which is just like, we've got to improve education. And so now here he is talking about his education program. So wait, he, he wants us to teach sexual harassment victims how to code? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And here's uh, him talking about his uh, education program, Amplify. Sorry, sorry, can I just object to your use of victims? We like to call them survivors. <laughs> <laughs> I will I self-criticize. Feel like, I feel like we've really, like, hashtag survivors in STEM. We could totally get that going. <laughs> <laughs> we will be canceling Sean. Um, okay, and here he is talking about his education program, Amplify, uh, and how much he cares about the education program. It's criminal what we're doing to this generation. We are not educating them as well as the previous generation. 
This amplifier, what we're doing, it's going to be all electronic. It's a really new way. We'll work with teachers. We help teachers tremendously. But we're putting classes. We're developing classes, K through 12, uh, which will all be sort of animated uh, on a tablet or iPad-like device. Completely electronic curriculum. Absolutely. Right? Yes, <clears throat> absolutely. Uh, I guess we've spent the best part of another 100 or 200, and we will spend, continue to spend at that rate for three or four years until we get sufficient acceptance mm -hmm. through enough school systems. Uh, so you're willing to it will turn profitable and uh, potentially very profitable. <laughs> <laughs> he's saving the world. Yeah, and we'll talk more about like charter schools and that, but it's just so funny that he's like, talking about how the real problem is lack of education and then it turns out to just be like another way to make money mm -hmm. for Rupert Murdoch. Yeah, my favorite. I think one of the fascinating things with people like him and to a large extent also like a shithead like Bill Gates and even to some degree like some of your, like I guess, you know, long story short, like the, our overlords are fucking idiots. Like I think to a really enormous extent, like, um, I think he believes his own bullshit, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah. he looks around and he sees the world becoming, like he acknowledges, right, the, the growing inequality. But just the fundamental inability to assess that through any form of structural lens, right? Like it comes down to, like, we must be failing at education because, like, the, the ticket upwards is purely one of, like, being sufficiently educated, Right, like they couldn't be any other blockades. Right. There couldn't be any other structural factors. Like it's because obviously education is the way by which like class mobility is enacted. Mm -hmm. um, if class mobility is becoming semi-non-existent, like we must not be educating properly. It's just like this complete like hermeneutic circle by which like you know that that like if you I don't know like I find it fascinating in as much as like I I genuinely believe at a certain point like certainly weaponized motivated reasoning but like i genuinely think some of these fucking idiots are higher on their own supply mm. it's like you know when um greenspan came before the you know, the senate hearings and sort of you know following the financial um crisis just sort of said like oh i've i've, I've had my worldview shaken a little bit it's just like you motherfucker like you actually believed all that iron rand crap didn't you mm. yeah like i I do think to a certain extent, like, because they live in these bizarre little bubbles and they genuinely don't interact with reality, like, it really does take something kind of grotesque or gargantuan to shake it because they don't, like, they don't have their silly ideas run up against reality hmm. in the way that the rest of us do. <laughs> like, I don't know. I like the Maybe that's wishful thinking in my part, but hey, who knows? I like the idea of uh, Rupert Murdoch's charter schools teaching students what to do when you inherit the most powerful media empire in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> Easily replicatable success. Um, but just well, so, I was just going to say some... He's only a 7 out of 10, so he may not be able to help. He may not be able to help like, all of the kids get there, but certainly. Yeah. He'll be able to seven help out of ten. 7 out of 10, yeah. 
Uh, just some random gossip uh, from these uh, Michael Wolf biography, and then we can close out. Uh, our listeners and everyone here might find this interesting. Uh, he tells Rupert Murdoch tells Michael Wolf he is quote too busy to have friends. He's kind of a loner workaholic who just doesn't really have close relationships. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's just like calling yourself an incel. <laughs> <laughs> like, like no, I mean volcel. Like, there's no false It's incel. Do you know what I mean? Like, you don't choose not to have friends. You just don't have friends. Like, you can try to make it some voluntaristic thing if you want. But, like, no one's buying it. You just don't have friends. You're a sociopath. That's it. Amy, you might have thought you received hate mail in the past. But now that you have insulted the vole community. <laughs> there is no vole They're all incels. This is my point. <laughs> we direct all asexuals yes, I, to yes, hate I'm mail putting to Sean the vole <laughs> under erasure. Um, just continuing from this Michael Wolf biography, if you're wondering why Rupert Murdoch's face is so droopy, it's because he had a botched facelift in the 1980s. Really? Yeah. Um, he's a little insecure about that. Uh, but yeah. He's also like fucking a hundred years old. Yes. Like, <laughs> uh, he dyes his own hair in the sink, apparently. I don't know if he stopped doing that, but yes, he was dyes his own hair. And then, um, just... One more thing I wanted to share with all of you. Uh, Michael Wolf quotes Rupert Murdoch in London, I think in the 70s or 80s, uh, telling a joke. So would you like to hear a street joke that Rupert Murdoch thinks is, is funny? Yeah. Only pass the N-word. No. <laughs> so Rupert Murdoch <laughs> says, quote, What's the difference between a fridge and a puffter? What's the what? difference? When you pull the meat out of the fridge, it doesn't fart. What's so, a puffter? <laughs> So uh, somehow this man would go on to run a network with endemic sexual harassment. <laughs> but yes. Couldn't have seen it coming. <laughs> is puffter used in Australia or is that just a United Kingdom slur or term? Puffter? Yeah, puffter. Why are you saying puffter? It's puffter. Puff. But yes, yeah, I mean like... I could not hear the 2018, difference. 2018, we've kind of moved past that sort of thing. But yeah, I mean that was a term that, that broadly... Would have made sense. I'm so mad at that person. Only 40s kids will get that. <laughs> 40s Australian kids. I'm so mad at that person in Melbourne who taught me how to pronounce that word. Um, and then uh, just another thing, News Corp, in addition to like most other major companies, engages in heavy tax dodging. They have subsidiaries in the Bahamas, Cayman Islands, Channel Islands, Virgin Islands. Um, their annual tax bill since 86, 1986 has been about 7% of profits. So. Yeah, they've been paying negative tax in Australia for a number of years. Mm-hmm. But they're like they're completely fucking our political system. But they're getting like they're literally like getting money from the tax office to do so. <laughs> like they would jig it that thoroughly. It's amazing. Yes, and uh, but they're giving back because uh, one other thing we didn't mention from the phone hacking scandal was it was alleged that the Sun, among other Murdoch properties, had a syst- had a complicated system set up for providing bribes and kickbacks to both politicians and police officers. <laughs> so they're giving back to the political system in the sense that they are giving capital directly to members of the political system. Um, but of, of course, we weren't able to get to everything, but I think we've covered the broad swaths of uh, Rupert Murdoch's life. Um, but uh, Amy, do you have any uh, closing thoughts on uh, Mr. Murdoch, his legacy, everything we've discussed today? Uh, not so much like specifically Murdoch related, but certainly related to kind of the impression that 
kind of right-thinking Australians have of him. Um, so when I was in year 12, I was doing like an English module and our teacher had us watch um, Outfoxed. I don't know if right. you've seen that. I watched that when yeah. I was a young lib. <laughs> yeah, like this was probably, what, like it would have been like 15 years ago now. And um, Is this like Foxcatcher? Like, um, <laughs> pardon? Is it like Foxcatcher? I haven't seen Foxcatcher, but I suspect they're like vaguely similar, just kind of looking at what a disaster Fox News is. <laughs> no? Maybe. Uh, a wrestler gets murdered. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> go on. We're going to use the fact that Andy is problematic as an excuse to fire him for constantly <laughs> derailing the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's no drama. Anyway, I just remember I thought I was a fucking edge lord in um, year twelve because I had this what I thought was a really great um, sticker that I had on my backpack, and it said, um, "Like I guess you know, in the states they're referring to Trump as like the first post-truth politician, all that shit." Mm-hmm. But um, we've kind of considered Murdoch papers to be fundamentally post-truth, like. For a couple of decades, so I had this sticker on my backpack that was I thought it was super edgy, and it said like, "Is that the truth, or did you read it in the Daily Telegraph?" <laughs> <laughs> and then there was there was another one. There was another one that was even better. Are you ready for it? Yeah. Is that the is that the truth, or is your news limited? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just imagining you reading about the repeal of the the carbon tax and being like, "But but didn't they see my sticker?" <laughs> Just to clarify, the carbon tax was repealed like a solid decade after I finished school. But yeah, totally. <laughs> not enough people saw your there. sticker. <laughs> Pardon? I said not enough people saw your sticker. Zuck. Yeah, definitely. Expressionism is politics. Like, get more badges. What are they called? Pins. Get more pins. And just make your voice heard. And sell those pins for $7 and uh, work at the... Washington D.C. DSA. Yeah. It's a sheltered workshop. It's no need to be so unkind. Yeah. All right. Well, um, uh, we will see which of uh, Murdoch's uh, grossly incompetent children take over his media empire, <laughs> uh, or if any activist shareholders manage to thwart that. But likely, you know, Lachlan Peterson or, or whoever uh, will take over that media empire. Um, we did a little contest on the U.S. Senate elections. Uh, we're not able to declare a winner yet because uh, uh, both Arizona and Florida, the results are still outstanding. Uh, if both of them break Republicans... Has Montana come in? Yes. The Democrats won Montana. John Tester will be returning. Nice. Don't uh, test nice. the tester. Yes. Still holding out on that green wave. <laughs> Yes, uh, the uh, green wave did not uh, materialize for Andy, but uh, 2020, we will see. 2020 green wave. Um, But we'll follow up. Dream big, dream big. (laughs) We'll follow up on that next week. Unfortunately, um, Indiana Congress uh, Senator Joe Donnelly will not no longer be in the Senate to protect people and keep their uh, prescription drug prices to only increasing 30% (laughs) per year. Uh, So we lost a champion for uh, seniors everywhere. <laughs> um, but I guess, were there any other thoughts on Rupert Murdoch before we get out of here? No? Nope. All right. Uh, Amy, uh, uh, what would you like to plug and say to the people? And again, thank you so much for being yeah, with us. Yeah, thanks You've yeah. uh, lent us a great perspective and done it with a <laughs> heroic time zone differences. So we are so appreciative yeah, uh, for what you did. 
Yeah, no drama. So it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. All right. And uh, people can find you on Twitter, Amy Therese, um, the Dead Pundits uh, Society podcast. Uh, always enjoyable. Anything else to mention before we go? That's about it. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Amy. Uh, thank you for listening. Uh, we'll be back next week and uh, we will finally reveal who was correct about the Senate. And with that, I'm Yogi Paywall. I'm Andy Palmer. I'm Sean McCarthy. Steve Jeffers. All right. Thank you, Amy. Thank you for listening. So no other human being in the world has been able to touch the lives of as many people as Rupert Murdoch. Whether it is pure entertainment, like The Simpsons, one of my favorite shows, or serious information, like The Times of London, or anywhere in between, Rupert Murdoch's News Corporation is providing the cutting content which today gives us so many choices. And as we have heard many times this evening, Communication is the key to making our world a better place and nobody knows how to communicate more effectively on such a huge scale than Rupert.